growth and you are here because we want to expose you to top performers, their ideas, their strategies, their insights that will hopefully help you execute on your dreams from business and technology. So this is the episode 29 of the show. And this time I met up with Matt DiPaola, who is a managing director of a digital agency called Huge. And it's an international agency. They are, we're one of the first ones who applied the principles of user experience design to business and marketing, not to just design. Matt spent over 20 years in advertisement in a ton of different roles, worked in UX, digital, social, PR, event marketing, branding, advertisement, CRM, you name it. He's super active in the, in the community here in Toronto. He speaks at events or spoke at events like TechTO, MarketingTO, AssembleTO, Bunf World, Media Festival, ICA's Advertisement Week, and a ton of others. So without further ado, here's our chat with Matt. Okay, I'm here with Matt. Matt, thanks a lot for joining me here today on the show. Oh, th- thanks for having me. So it looks like you started in a PR school, uh, in a PR after school, and then you were on the agency side. At what point did you know, did you know that you were in the right spot? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's, I mean, the, when you say the right spot. Career-wise. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, like the right spot, it, I think that changes with you over time. I think, you know, when you, a lot of people who end up in the agency landscape, like, like if I'm, I started out in PR because I loved event management. And I'm like, I thought I'll make a career out of that. And that, and that was the mid nineties. That was before the internet. So, you know, I, I wanted a job. I got a job in an agency. I loved the variety of agency. And I think anyone who's attracted to that variety, um, and, and ends up in the agency landscape, that, that right spot changes as you find new things and discover new things. Cause you're constantly looking for new things. So I think I've had many right spots along the way. And I mean, you and, I mean, it's all public on LinkedIn. You can see the ones where I've lasted, you know, four or five years at an agency. Yeah. And there's, and you see the ones where it's been like a year. And I think, uh, you know, the, the journeys were, you know, the, the agencies where I've been able to, uh, find a place and, and find a, a community of people that were at a, at the same place I was in life, um, with similar values and similar interests was the right spot. Yeah. Uh, and then the ones where I, bolted after a year or we're not <laughs> but it was all under umbrella of advertising uh, not, well, not, i'm marketing i, I would broaden right. it because i mean i think I've, I've done a fair amount outside of what i would say is traditional advertising because i mean the pr stuff was its own thing yeah. uh spent a lot of time you know i went from pr into e-commerce and like early days of like pre-dot-com bubble uh you mm-hmm. know i always joke like you know i remember selling you know getting people excited about hotmail before and to get people to sign up for free email addresses back in the 90s before hot you know microsoft even owned hotmail that's a big deal or getting people to you know convert to tell you know from telephone banking to you know cibc online banking mm-hmm. in early days and and you know built the first mac cosmetics website so yeah so it's been uh yeah it's, it's been it's been a long journey so you've done a lot of different things. You focused on a broad spectrum. You did PR. You did UX, digital, social, events, marketing, branding. Was there one thing that you were particularly attracted to? Maybe you spent a little bit more time there. You wanted to get more depth. Or how did you approach that? Or you were, from the get-go, you were more of a jack-of-all-trades? I, I mean, I think early on it was about 
getting as much different experience as possible. But I think as I've gotten older and more experienced, um, I think the, the, the through line on that is really understanding culture and cultural insights and then what you can do uh, to make people's lives better. Like I think, I think that, I think that to me is like it, if you go through the path, I've always come back to UX-driven or user-driven stuff because ultimately, if I, you know, as I've gotten to know myself over the last couple of decades, yeah. uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a builder. I like to build things, but I also am a people pleaser. And I think if I, you know, where you can work in agencies and create work where you are uh, fixing utility or providing value to people versus just hammering them with messages, mm-hmm. uh, that that to me is where I, like, I think if I look at, again, you know, Sid Lee was a great culture building agency. And I mean, mm-hmm. last week seeing We the North, <laughs> yeah. having, a, having a national holiday named after work that you, you had a chance to be part of, mm-hmm. uh, was amazing because you think it's it's such a part of people's lives. Yeah, a lot of the digital stuff we've done over the years is like you're finding problems in people's lives, and then you're using technology to address those problems or make them go away. So like that that to me, like the the cultural piece and the insight piece, I would say, if you asked me that 15 years ago, I probably wasn't aware of that. But I think in retrospect, looking at the things that uh, appealed to me was was a common thread. Yeah, it, it sounds more uh, on a it's a few levels deeper than yeah. you would have it on the surface. Like, oh, I like this UX one thing, or I like this one campaign that we run. It's more, it's a deeper thing that is closer aligned to values and yeah. culture. hundred percent. I think, I mean, and I think if you asked my younger self, I don't think I would have been mature enough to, uh, to recognize that. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the thinking part of it, I think the other thing is like, I've always been attracted to places that wanted to do something new and wanted to be more entrepreneurial mm. um, and wanted to do things that hadn't been done before. And I think that is part of it too. I mean, I, I, I love and respect the making side of it. As you saw in the tour, like I love kind of like seeing what everyone does. And that was like creating a making culture, but I love even more the thinking that goes into that work. Speaking of that, Resourcefulness, resourcefulness and critical thinking are super important to have a successful career. I'm sure you talked about that before in your talks. How can someone get better at this uh, despite maybe good parenting or bad parenting or maybe whatever people went through? What are some of the, some of the things that maybe you uncovered that could help people uh, do that? Can I go on a rant of helicopter parenting for a second? Of course. (laughs) I don't have kids, so it's fine. I can can rant all I want about how other people raise their (laughs) children. Um, So here's here's what I'll say, because I've I've had this rant before, and I will go on it again and go on record. (laughs) Helicopter parents, just stop. Stop it. Um, Because what happens is these parents who do everything for their children and manage their lives for them and solve all their problems for them, then they unleash them onto the working world and employers now have to parent uh, these kids because these kids cannot think for themselves, cannot make decisions for themselves. They, their anxiety and stress levels are high because they're put in situations where they have to figure this stuff out. Uh, and luckily, some of them get a really good manager or coach to get them on side of that. But there's been points in time where I'm like, when we're, when we're doing performance reviews in agencies, I'm like, this should be, we should be doing parent-teacher interviews, not performance reviews because... These young people have no 
skills to to do what we need them to do because mm-hmm. they've, they've never been taught them and now they're learning them now in their 20s. So I would say, I mean, resourcefulness absolutely is a skill. Um, and I think, you know, people... We've had, you've had, you have more information available to you than ever before as, as, as generations. People who are not afraid to go seek out how to do stuff and just get in there and figure it out are the ones that succeed. The, the people, if I look at the people that have been on the same career trajectory or been, been in the business as long as I have, the ones who have risen to the top are the ones who are resourceful and are adaptive. Like you need to change and you need to understand where the world's going, but it means you need to be constantly curious. You need to be constantly looking at things. You need to be constantly trying to do things in new ways. And I think um, that kind of uh, characteristic of someone who's like, okay, there's all, yes, someone's told me this is the way to do things, but what if there's a better way? Mm. And take the initiative to try and try new things to, to get to those better ways. And I think, so yeah, I think, yeah, resourcefulness, you can give people the, the frameworks and tools, but it's a mindset they got to get into. And I, and I look, it's like, I always look at the people that, you know, we've all have parents or grandparents who, you know, rely on the, on their kids or grandchildren's like, show me how this thing works. Yes. Cause technology is new or, or it's scary. And the people that are afraid, they're, always, they're worried they're going to break something are the ones that have lost their resourcefulness. I mean, mostly you can't break it. Like really just, try it i mean keep trying things till you figure out the right thing to do and it goes to the growth mindset uh where people would be just learning all the time those people who are learning the machines right and also uh which is one of my other questions a big one the failure how people perceive the failure and why it's okay to do things that actually not going to work and those people are going to look really dumb and it's still fine because you're again going back to the mindset you're not looking at success in a week one week term or one year term you're looking at a, a 10 year term then suddenly you've got enough time yeah i mean i think i mean and there's a, there's a lot of buzzwords in there and growth mindset and, and like, so i think i mean ultimately everyone's on a journey everyone's on their own unique journey through life and you've got to, you know you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what your journey is and i think there's a lot of people who think that journey is linear. It's like, all right, you know, you, you grow up and it's like you get your, you know, your first steps and your first dog or your first, you know, car. And then you grow up and you have your first, you know, you have your first girlfriend or boyfriend and your first, you know, then you, oh, your first job. And all of a sudden you get to a point in your life and there's no more firsts. And then you get, you know, the, the quarter life crisis. Right. And it's like, okay, but it's not about first. I mean, you got to look at, there's a long term of ups and downs and you need to be able to learn how to navigate those ups and downs and there's going to be failures. And that's okay. And you're going to, you know, those people who dust themselves off and get back at it versus the ones who wallow in those failures, like those those are the differences in people who have longevity. And I think we've unfortunately, I think, created a culture of celebrating failure and I think a lot of the startup community is like, fail fast. And it becomes a headline without people actually going deeper on understanding what that is. So yes, it's important to try new things. Yes, it's important to disrupt your normal way of doing these because our world is changing and you need to look for the signals yeah. um, to try new ways of doing things or else we wouldn't have a lot of the companies that exist today. But 
don't celebrate the failure, celebrate the thing you learned from it. And I think that's what gets, that, that's the second part of that headline that people don't talk about. It's like, fail fast, learn from it and move on. And I think for me, the, the better way to think about it, you know, it's, I can't remember which military commander this was, but mm-hmm. it's like, um, the only way forward is through. And that's, that's it. Like you've got to keep pushing through stuff and yeah, and you're going to fail and you're going to move on and you're going to learn from that. So that's so my rant on failure. No, I mean, it, it is true. I mean, it, it uh, all it makes, makes a ton of sense. And on one of the podcasts that you were on, I listened to your talk, you said something that I really enjoyed. You said, taking hits every day is the most fun part. So this is not a common thinking. Where did it come from? Uh, how, how did you get to that mindset? Was it your, the way that you grew up or you developed that over time? Because that's, that's not common with most people. About taking hits every day? Exactly. And then just saying, <laughs> oh, it's the most fun part. It, but th- I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get bored easily. And, uh, you know, I, I've stayed in the agency landscape because it is so different every day. If I had a job where I was doing the same thing every day, I, I probably would have blown my brains out by now. Like, it's just not, I, I, I need that variety. So, yeah. But the, the taking hits are the challenges. Like, those are the things, those are the fun things to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it gives, I mean, again, people who are resourceful or often are, you know, love problem solving. And, you know, I love puzzles. Yeah. I love watching, you know, I, I, I love the, Netflix series or whatever binging show you're going to watch that is a, a puzzle to figure out. Um, and so that to me, like that's those, those hits you take every day. I mean, they're just problems to solve. They're not, and I, I think where, where some people get caught up in failures or taking these hits mm-hmm. is you can take them personally. And I think that's, you do need to develop a thick skin and you do need to develop a fact that, stuff that happens in the professional world is about the business and not about you as an individual. And you may, you may fail as an individual, but it's no one's blaming you personally. I think, and right. it, like, I think if you've ever seen someone speak on a panel or, or speak publicly speak and they're nervous, no one in the crowd yeah. wants them to fail. Like everyone's rooting for that person. Like, you know, they want them to be less nervous. They want them to have a good talk. No one's like heckling them. Like, and I think we as human beings all want, especially as Canadians, um, from a cultural standpoint, want each other to succeed. Unless you're in politics, which, which is just a whole other world. But um, yeah, so I, so I think that like the, you know, take those hits. Like at a senior level now, you know, when, when a client calls me, it's usually not good news. Mm-hmm. But it's an opportunity to solve a problem. And, it's like, and you can fix it. And you, and you, you know, you fix It's like you fix things as quickly as possible so you can move on to the next thing. Yeah, and when you're doing public speaking, like nobody's going to throw tomatoes at you, right? It's like, no. it's all, it's, people's going to sit there. Yeah, and people, I mean, even if, and I mean, I've, I've certainly have, everyone has off days and it's like, someone will come up after you, it's like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll give words of encouragement. So I think it's like, again, it's okay. Like everyone's nervous, everyone's worried, everyone has a job to do. And I think, again, back to, like, to the first question about common thread, um, you know, I think I've learned a high level of empathy um, and worked on my kind of my EQ over time. So that idea of like when you're taking a hit from someone, again, going a level deeper. Okay, so where's this person coming from? 
What's the context of their world? How do I understand what it's like to be in their shoes? So then together we can work with them to figure out how to solve that. And that to me is, I think, again, people take the, like, you fucked up, you did this. And, it's like, and, then, and they get all freaked out. It's like, and then they mm-hmm. be like, oh my God, we screwed up. We got to fix this thing. Where sometimes it's okay to have the, go have a bit more of a conversation. Okay, so, you know, why is this a problem? Who's causing you grief on your side? And and dig into it a bit more so so you get that context and can ultimately get to a better solution. Yeah, hundred percent. Just uh, taking care of the root cause, not just like the the other surface the level symptoms. Fact, yeah. symptoms. Exactly. Yeah. You referenced. Uh, Tina Eisenberg, who's a graphic designer, in one of your older articles, and um, she posted a great. 11 rules to live by and the two of them really stood out to me one of them was always choose experience over money and the second one was if 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 an opportunity scares you take it talk to me about this too and why they're important and how you applied it in uh, in your career and your life yeah i mean i think uh the first one for sure i i think um you know again when you start in your career much like maslow's hierarchy it's like Again, and back to that kind of idea of firsts, like you're you're constantly working towards the next promotion, the next title, the next salary increase, um, and you get into the you know the, the the rat race or the you know the hamster wheel of like just focusing on that thing versus what you're learning from those experiences. And I think you know, and I, I mean, I've certainly made mistakes along the way where I've jumped for a title or jumped for for a salary increase, um, and I learned the hard way that there's a reason that they were paying a lot more money for that role because no one else wanted it. Um, and it's, you know, now I just call it danger pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you, so the, 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 you know, it's important, I think, to find people you can learn from people back to the conversation around values, like have the same values as you. And, and, and that experience you're going to have with those people have far more weight on your longer term development and your and your overall experience and and uh then you know an extra or however much money or, or title and i think and i think people get caught up on you know doing things for the money now for some people the money is important so that that's that's fine and they should make those choices or maybe they should you know get into you know a finance role or, or venture cap or something yeah. where it's like it's about right. it's about money um and I think, the, and then, then what was the other one? So the other one was actually just before that. Oh, yeah. uh, let me let me comment on this one. It's like um, I've heard. I believe it was CEO of Drift, uh, David Cancel, who talked about you. If you're early in your career, or maybe if you're not early in your career, you want to figure out: Are you here to learn or to earn? And then I've heard another one, which was really good from Tom Bilyeu. Uh, he's an entrepreneur in the United States where he t- was said, look, you can make a dollar or make a $100,000 and then you spend it, but then the skills you can monetize forever. Yeah. And it's like such a completely different approach versus like, oh yeah, I just bought, bought this new thing. And that's it. Like there's no, what, what is the next one? Versus like you develop as a person and then, um, well, you have a lot of years to come. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, the, I mean, the skills. Certainly, there's the hard skills and there's the soft skills. And I think if you if you look at, um, a lot of people who are extremely wealthy, um, but have had been able to sustain that wealth over time, they're also generous with their time. Like they will take meetings just to help people out, or they will coach and mentor just for the purpose of helping people out. It isn't always a transaction. 
And I think that to me is the, is the mindset to figure out. It's like not everything has to be a transaction in the professional world. And sometimes these, these favors you do or the time you invest with people, uh, will pay off in different ways through different experiences and, 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 and open your eyes to other things that you would not have expected. It's like um, Grant Cardone says, who's got my money strategy might not be the always the best one. Yeah, that's, it's 100% true. <laughs> so the second point was, if an opportunity scares you, take it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, and that goes back to the boredom thing. It's like, there's a lot of things, after working in this business for 20 years, there's a lot of things I could do in my sleep. And it's like, and, the, and, and, I, and I have friends who are doing that. And it's, and it's funny. It's like, you know, there, there are people, you know, who are also in their 40s. It's like, and they've got, they've got children. And they're like, you know what? I do this job. I go to the gym every day. I see my kids every night. I put them to sleep. And it's okay. And it's like, it's yeah. not, and it's like, and a lot of them that were really ambitious before that now talk about, okay, well, when the kids go away to university, Then I'll get back and do something more interesting again. And I think I've got the luxury of not having kids that I haven't had to make that choice. So I can con con constantly pursue interesting work. And that's exactly it. It's like do the stuff. Mm -hmm. that you think. And it's, it's scary like a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I still want to go up the coaster mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and see what's on the other side and experience that for myself. But it's not scary in a terrifying horror movie type of way. Mm-hmm. Because the because the the journey of the scariness is fun. Hundred percent. What kind of um, like what is what are some of the role models that that you learn from right now and and how they evolved over the years? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, Those could be from books or from uh, people you follow. I think no, I think well, I think more and more so it's people. Um, that you meet along the way. If I, you know, if I look at, I've got a really close friend, um, who you probably see me on a panel with. Yeah. Uh, so Andrea cook who runs FCB six and we've been working together. Like we've worked together twice in different agencies. We now work on the same holding company. Um, and you know, she was very much early days, uh, always had the mandate, uh, or the, my, the, uh, what's my call it? The insider kind of mm -hmm. uh, focus of always bet on yourself, and and she, I mean, she hasn't. She's done great. I mean, they just won Grand Prix at at Cannes this That's year. Amazing. Like they're they're, they're having a great run. And but she's always like betting herself, and she's always been very encouraging for me that way too. And it's like something I keep in the back of my head. It's like okay, like I've been doing this long enough. I know I know enough. Mm -hmm. I should be able to figure this out. Um, and I see her and again, and she's got three children and a husband and she travels. And, and so I look at, I look at what she's able to accomplish and balance and see that as a, as a, as, as a peer, as a, as a, as a great role model. Um, another person who yeah, I go to for my uh, at least annual uh, inspiration, if not more often is Alexander Manu. Mm -hmm. And if you know, Alex, he, uh, he set up the strategic foresight program at OCAD yeah. teaches at Schulich Um And I, yeah, I met him years ago. I saw him speak on a panel. Mm -hmm. I saw him, sorry, I saw him speak, do a keynote out yeah. in Banff and blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Had never heard anyone think that way or talk that way. And so immediately, you know, invited him up for coffee. And now we meet up, you know, like I said, at least once a year, if more if I, we can arrange our schedules, just to have a conversation. There's, again, there's no transaction there. Yeah. Um, we've learned, you know, for the last decade or so, we've learned 
like there's a there's a mutual inspiration because we see different parts of the world. But here's the I, I remember the, the the turning point with me like that again. One of the things that kind of stuck with me is I was talking to him and he was you know he's teaching two class or teaching two different schools. He was working on his book. Uh, he was consulting for Unilever, uh, like head office innovation mm-hmm. in in Holland. He was uh, also consulting for Nokia, also in in Europe, and and I was trying to get him to do some consulting work at the agency I was at, and he was talking about his you know his family life, and then he had this big trip where he's going to Europe to do all this consulting mm-hmm. and a couple of speaking engagements, and he's working on his book, and all he wanted to do is talk about his, where he was going to golf, and I'm like, how do you find time <laughs> for golf when you do all these other things? And he just it was so simple. He's just like, you just do. And I think that to me, again, it's such a small moment, but these people who are always too busy to do the things they want to do, it's an excuse. If you're really excited about yeah. something and you want to do that, that was the inspiration for me. Like that, That's when I started doing my supper club. That's when I started doing some, some writing on the side and I've written some plays in the past. Mm-hmm. That's when I started doing photography and found all, and you know, started sitting on advisory boards and started doing these things. And it's like, kind of took that and then you took the second city yes and mentality which is very cool it's like yeah. comes from ux right oh yeah. from yeah well, i think i would say ux comes from from that actually okay second city was around first um and so yeah but and, and then you like so been able to create this rich experience in life by being able to just those those couple things you have know, the bet on yourself and the you, you just you do the things you just figure it out and you and and you know what you do yeah yeah, it's like, you know, people, there's a lot of books uh, talk about one thing, which makes sense. If there's one thing that somebody wants that you do, and let's say you're in that cycle, you have to push something and there's a project, you're working on a product, maybe it makes sense to just focus on that one thing. But then you consciously, as you say, you adapt, you change your maybe schedule, you have a line that says, look, this is now I'm working on this or I'm not working. And it could I, be scary. I would see. I would disagree with the one thing, wholeheartedly. I think the people who get so myopically focused on just one thing mm-hmm. um, are missing a lot of signals and inspiration that will actually make that one thing better. And it's like, you know, the supper club, the photography, the writing, you know, the hiking, all, all things I do outside, they all connect. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, you like you need your mind. You need to give your mind other things to do other than focusing on the one thing because you're never going to get to better solutions without those other outlets. Either let your mind relax or use a different part of it. And so, yeah, I would be very much against just doing the one thing. Well, what about one thing in professional life, not not outside? I don't think we have to do that anymore. Like, I think, uh, you know, you always look at generational shifts. It's like, you know, my fam- my parents' generation was the one job for most of your life. You know, my generation as a Gen Xer, you have multiple jobs, um, but there's still, there's still one job at a time, but you may switch, have multiple jobs over the span of a career. And then the generation coming up have multiple jobs at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, and, and you know, people may use the never stop the hustle or whatever, like whatever, you know, hashtag they want to, you know, self-promote themselves around. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea, the fact that you don't have to choose just one thing I think it's great because we know with artificial intelligence and technology and so many other things that our world is going to change. And the more variety of skills that you have and the more adaptive you are to different things, 
the longer your ability to have a professional life is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it is certainly true. Any controversial views that you hold that, Any- you, that you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? Give me, I don't know. Give me some give me- context. Um, well, it could be anything, you know, that it's nothing really particular. It could be professional, maybe advertising. People say uh, this, like most people will say advertising work this way. I actually don't agree with that. Anything like that. Um, I don't know. I was a lot angrier, more controversial in my 20s. Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think the world, the the world is evolving. I there's nothing I hate more than a headline that says "blah blah blah is dead." I hate, I've they're the worst. They're, <laughs> clickbaits. What's that? Clickbaits. 100% clickbait. Um, again, it's myopic. It's someone that has a strong opinion that isn't fully formed. Um, nothing's dead. It just evolves. So, yeah, so my controversial statement is stop writing fucking headlines with something, something is dead because it means you're a lazy journalist. Copywriters love it, though. And I mean, <laughs> I have to say, like, I studied, cop- I, started, I, I learned quite a bit on, on a copyright inside and I find it, it is, it could be effective, but at the same time, I've seen, for example, like, I, I love mobile tech, follow a lot of resources there. And Forbes, uh, there are a few people at Forbes who make ridiculously clickbaity headlines. So I clicked on a few and then I realized they're shit. Uh, and I'm, and so now they post again, the stuff I've like, I know exactly what you're going to, what I'm going to get. So it's not even worth clicking. Yeah. Uh, so there's you get burned the- once. Yeah. I have, yeah, I've been going to South by for years and there's always some idiot that has their panel. That's like, blah, blah, blah is dead. I'm like, and again, went to one once and I'm like, I am never going to any panel ever again that has that as the, as the title. Yeah. And same thing. I see an article like that. I'm like, I'm just going to gloss over it. It's not even worth the read. What kind of photography do you do? uh live music so yeah so i uh i I love live music i love concerts i love live people making live music uh so if you want another controversial statement i'm not a fan of what's going on with uh the whole holographic uh movement Mm -hmm. in live music i mean i think that and i just saw i mean i just got my amex front of the line uh notification yesterday for the roy orbison show that's coming to the danforth where they've basically recreated him as mm-hmm. a hologram with a live band behind him. Mm. Um, so the technologists love it. Yeah. Like, and, and, and the, the recording industry loves it because now they have someone who doesn't get sick or tired, can play in multiple venues at the same time. Um, doesn't have any, you know, you know, don't want to eat green M and M's or whatever crazy riders they have in their contracts. Sell more. And, and, and they're selling, they're selling t- their, the tickets are the same, uh, prices. So, they're still making the same amount of money. And they're still being able to sell out tours, and of course, so there's a. This is where the the business side makes a lot of sense. But I go back to the the cultural piece that we talked about earlier. When you go to a concert and you see a live performance, there is a you know a community organizing themselves. There, I mean, it is especially certain artists that have a, you know, a certain following. It becomes almost. I would say more like a religious experience because it is like people going to church and having this, you know, mm-hmm. someone's where it's all singing or chanting together, whatever, the, you know, whatever the yeah. music yeah. style is. Um, and so from the photography standpoint, for me, I try and find those moments where the artist is actually truly connecting in the moment mm-hmm. where it's not just their can shtick. It's like, hello, insert city name here. You're right. the best. Right. Um, where they actually are caught off guard or they're actually surprised by, the fan experience and, the, and there's there's a moment there and i think that those moments are still important we're still humans we still need to connect 
So that's why I'm not a fan of the, mm. the hologram stuff. Oh, 100% because it's like, it misses the whole point. You can just watch it on TV. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No difference. Well, since I'm a tech geek, what kind of gear do you use for taking uh, pictures? Just, a, I mean, I've got, a, I just got a Sony, uh, the A6000, um, from a great and low light. Yeah. Uh, great for, again, when you've got a lot of like your ability to focus on flashing lights and, and, and so it's, it, it's, it's been a great camera for the indoor venues, mm-hmm. um, but also, uh, you know, you pop a good zoom on it, and it's great for festivals too. And it's and it's and because it's a mirrorless, it's it's so much lighter. Oh, 100%. It's tiny almost. Yeah. So we love to talk about books on the show, and you know, I always ask my guests what are some of the books that they keep coming back to, and those could be in business and in personal development and psychology, whatever you prefer. Are there any ones that that you keep that stuck with you for a while? Um, that maybe come to mind? Um, yeah, it's funny. So I, I'm very much not a business book reader. I, I, I avoid them. Okay. Um, with the, the one exception would be, I, the one I recommend to people is the first 90 days um, for anyone starting a new job. I think that one, that's, that's been helpful for me and also mm-hmm. helpful for, uh, people who have, you know, when you are starting a new job or, or, or you have a new boss, because um, it basically frames up the five conversations you should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if you work in an agency environment, you can reframe those questions to starting off a new relationship with a new client. So that, that I found invaluable. But for me, uh, I prefer to read fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and sometimes it's, you know, somewhat related and sometimes it's not like yeah. I, I you know, as an author i love dave eggers mm-hmm. and you know i loved his take on silicon valley in the circle the movie was crap yeah um but the book itself again when you when you live it and you're in that world like you you know exactly which companies he's talking about and mm-hmm. you know um and you look at you know you look at stuff again um uh, whatchamacallit uh, ready you know ready player one amazing book and again it talks about the cultural where, where the world could go uh, with VR. And I think, so I love that dystopian. Yeah. Because uh, I think, because there's warning signals in there. I think for me, it's like, you know, when you talk about books, like the same thing is, is, is Black Mirror. It's like, right. I, there's, there's a genre there where it's like, okay, we take one wrong step with technology and we don't keep our humanity in check. Here's where it goes. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who will discount some of those books and shows because that, that I don't like sci-fi which is fine, but don't view it as sci-fi. View it as humanity gone wrong. And I think, and all of those examples are current and not, I mean, well, I mean, some of the Black Mirror episodes have actually turned into mm-hmm. real life, like the social network in China that's, yeah. you know, creating value by how you are personally ranked. Like there's, and, and I mean, and I won't, well, there's, there's one that's attuned to the hologram conversation we just had as well. <laughs> but it's also like, you know, yes, there's this, uh, it, it might look like uh, as an exper- experiment, but like there's been a ton of studies done that what smartphones do right now to people is ridiculously harmful. And I see so many people walking on the street and they walk literally by looking on their phone. That's how they walk now. That's like a new way of walking. And they're missing out a lot on life. Uh, and, and this is before We're zombifying zomb- ourselves exactly and, and this is even before we got the VR headset which are by the way coming 
and it will get smaller and lighter. You can pop them on uh, on your head. It will be Google Glass, or whatever. But it, will, it is coming, and that will be pretty. That will be Ready Player One. It could yeah. be. Well, I think you know, you, you know, we want your controversial statement. Like Steve Jobs ruined humanity. Like you look at, you know, how addicted we become to our phones. Um, again, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, you're, you're, we're getting injured. Like people are having like all sorts of issues with holding their head down and like their neck and shoulders. People are getting a, you know weird kind of carpal tunnel things with their their fingers and thumbs. We're rewiring our brain. Yes. So there's been like, there's been studies about the fact that we don't remember anything anymore because between you know asking Google or asking your, or Siri or whomever, you don't have to retain anything. And we're rewiring to be able to multitask and have multiple things going on. So we're, and we constantly need that dopamine fix yeah. by getting that next notification or that next like. Like I think all those things, while I think there's there's been obviously some benefits to them as well. But again, where humanity's taken them, you know, there's a reason why there's a there's an increase in digital detox vacations. There's an increase in restaurants and hotels like no cell phone or no Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, that people are realizing they need to disconnect. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's dangerous. It's it, the, the ultimate slot machine. It, it is the ultimate. You're, that's actually a great way to put it. it is the, I'm gonna, I, may, I may borrow that. That's good. But, but it's true. Yeah, I've heard it from somewhere. Matt, where is everybody can find you online? Uh, you can find, so definitely most active on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, I've got a Facebook account only because I go to concerts and I need to check set times. Same thing with Twitter. Yeah. It's like, no, Twitter, Twitter is my, uh, there's a blackout. I need some you know, information quickly or, or, like, or, or something's happened in the news and I need mm-hmm. to know what's going on. But I don't, I don't publish anything on Twitter or Facebook. It's more of a passive experience. But yeah, Instagram and LinkedIn. And we will link it all in the show notes so everybody listening can just go on and check out the, the things you're doing and what you post then. Uh, but Matt, it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot for joining uh, sharing all your insights from your career, your life, and uh, where are we all headed. Awesome. Thank, thanks for uh, having me. It was fun. So hopefully, guys, you enjoyed this episode with Matt. If you did, go on Apple Podcasts and you can find Ross Growth Show and leave a six-star review. This is a six-star only show, as you know, as uh, the regular listeners will know. Uh, and I will and check out Matt's profile as well. See what he's doing on LinkedIn. And he's got some really cool things going on at Huge every time, all the time because they are international agency. And I will see you guys in the next episode.